Good morning, uh, everybody. I'd like to welcome you all to the 14th Gulf Intelligence Global Energy Outlook Forum with 20 sessions over 12 hours, bringing us forecasts for the year ahead uh, by the top 50 energy market analysts stretching from Shanghai to Houston. And we start with our first panel uh, of the 12 hours in the Asia Pacific region. Uh, and we're going to be discussing, uh, can OPEC plus rely on Chinese oil demand to save the day in 2024? I'm delighted to be joined uh, by our three panelists this morning, Victor Yang, senior editor at JLC Network Technology, Clyde Russell, Asia Commodities and Energy columnist at Reuters, and Serena Huang, head of APAC analysis at Vortex. So, so thank you so much uh, for joining us, everybody, for this panel session. Um, Victor, let me start uh, with you. You are sitting there in China, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And we'll, we'll talk a bit about the rest of Asia as well. But let's focus on China first and give us your, your perspective at the start of this year on what the Chinese economic outlook is, of course, which is going to impact that demand that OPEC plus and others may be relying on. China's economy grew by 5.2% last year, but the trajectory is dropping for this year and next, isn't it? So what's the what's what's the sentiment there uh, in terms of the challenges that the economy might have this year? Well, in China, the sentiment is that the growth can slow down in 2024 because of the government's restructuring, mostly because of the upgrade and restructuring. Take the oil industry, for instance. Uh, the market is seeing faster integration of oil refining and chemical production and faster upgrade. So a lot of companies, particularly conventional ones, are finding it more challenging. But in the meantime, there is faster development of high-tech development, high-technology companies, high-tech companies. So this is a mixed. On the one hand, there is faster development of some companies, but on the other hand, say, for conventional factories, it is getting more and more challenging. So for 2024, Major in, in institutions forecast slower growth, say from 4.2% to 4.8% on the whole. So below the 5% mark. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Victor. Thank you. Clyde, let me go to you with that. I mean, oil demand last year uh, grew by 2.3 million barrels a day. China made up for the majority of that, right? Uh, uh, but that still wasn't uh, enough to, to keep prices shored up, despite OPEC plus moves to cut production and, and support that that market. So, I mean, given what, what Victor just said, changes in the Chinese economy, changes in policy, um, 2023 wasn't a bad year for China. But I, are people more concerned going forward? And how is that going to impact, do you think, demand for crude? Well, I think the thing that people... <clears throat> don't really take into account when talking about China's crude demand is a lot of it has actually become quite price driven. Um, if you look at last year, 2023, you had very strong imports in the first half of the year when prices were what the Chinese refiners would have deemed more reasonable. As soon as the prices uh, rallied hard in the second half of the year, or like at least up till uh, the end of the third quarter, China just pulled back from on imports. They didn't drop away completely, but they did uh, slow down markedly in, in the second half. So 
I tend to think of China as now a, a, a more sort of price sensitive buyer. If if they see oil prices at a level that they're comfortable with, they will import more, refine more and export more product. If they are seeing prices that they think have risen too high or too quickly, then they tend to pull back. So I think that's the sort of uh, dynamic that's now in play. And I think as far as OPEC Plus is concerned, they should actually you know, have to recognize that dynamic, that if they take action and they're successful in driving prices back to $90, $100 a barrel, then China will just pull back and use its stockpiles. If uh, prices remain in the sort of seventy, you know, dollar a barrel range, then China will will probably buy quite a bit more, um, you know. And I expect to see a fairly strong start, probably from February onwards, because prices have moderated. So I expect the Chinese refiners will come back in. They've certainly been given very big quotas at the start of the year by by Beijing. So uh, you know, if they have the ability to buy. The price is right, and I think the, the, they will do so. Um, but Again, if the price goes up in the middle of the year, then they'll pull back just as they did last year. Okay, thanks, Clyde. So, Serena, on that point, let's look at the, just the first quarter. We can look at the year ahead. But the first quarter, Clyde just mentioned probably February, they start buying. Prices have been quite soft in the last two months. Uh, and and, and what, is it, what, what, what signals are you getting out there of, of what China's planning to do, take advantage of these prices? You never know. We've got regional conflicts here in the Middle East. Prices could jump $10. Who knows in the next few months? So are we seeing those indications already? And give us that in the context of what the refineries are also planning. Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, Diala. Now, what we're seeing is, first of all, from a refining margins perspective, it is certainly not impressive. We all know the bearish uh, outlook that is really surrounding um, the Chinese economy, like what Victor has mentioned. So from that perspective, well, what we expect is that China will continue to import baseline levels of crude at between 10 to 10.5 million barrels per day. But given the softness of the domestic demand and given you know, the expected spring refinery turnaround that is, or summer refinery turnaround that is upcoming, there is little incentive, at least, for the Chinese refiners to actually start ramping up their crude imports above what they did last year. The other thing to note is that, you know, while China's onshore crude inventories, as for Texas data has been showing, has been steadily declining over the recent months, it is still relatively healthy. Now, and we, if we focus down into the Shantung province, where majority of the teapot refineries have actually concentrated, in fact, the inventories have actually remained elevated and bloated as a result of the suppressed demand coming from the independent refiners. So from that perspective, we do not expect that the independent refiners will be importing much more. And in fact, we see downside risk um, from, from, that, from, from that angle. But the state-run refiners, like what Clyde mentioned, may take the opportunity as crude prices remain soft to kind of build up uh, their crude inventories, although we do not expect them to stockpile a surplus volume. So overall, we think that crude imports will still remain uh, relatively at the 10 to 10.5 million barrels per day uh, levels, but not too much of an upside there. Okay, thanks, Serena. Victor, just back to you on prices. Um, we saw Aramco, Saudi Aramco, drop its OSPs for February, uh, Asian, uh, for crude into Asia. Um, uh, what impact do you think that is going to have on, on a consumer and buyer um, like China versus, um, you know, non-OPEC oil? Of course, we saw, uh, you know, China take a lot of Russian crude last year. Um, the US is exporting a lot of crude. Um, so how price sensitive do you think China's buying is going to be this year 
in terms of comparing what it's getting from Saudi, from Russia? Will it take it all? What's what's your outlook for that? Well, as Chris said, Chinese buyers are very sensitive to, to prices, not just independents, but also state-owned refiners. So they are now opportunistic buyers. Say they buy cargoes not over the long term, but over the short term, and they compare the prices of each grade and the performance of each grade. So they study on a daily basis and they made their purchase on such a basis. So for independence, the government has announced the whole year's quotas, I mean, on non-state group imports for 2024. And the quotas have not changed much, say compared with 2023, largely stable. So we do not expect larger imports from independence by independence mostly independence in Shandong province. But in the meanwhile, the country has released more quotas on fuel oil imports. It's kind of forcing them to use more fuel oil th than last year. Last year, I mean, 2023, the government boosted its quotas on fuel oil imports. That was the first time in many years. And conventional independence are not favored by the government now because of the government's industry upgrade. So it favors large oil to chemical complexes. And for them, quotas will be tightening. I mean, for conventional independence, the quotas will be tightening. So on the whole, the quotas by them is not seen to grow much in 2024. Okay, I mean, on those quotas, Clyde, I mean, as Victor just said, the, the, the refineries have been told what those are. Um, do, do we see a lot of a change on those during the year, subject to conditions, obviously? And, you know, as we looked ahead to 2024, are we are we having another sort of first half, second half opinion out there already, do you think? Or are we now looking at sort of the year being pretty stable uh, uh, in terms of uh, demand for oil, given the volatility that we saw last year and the lessons we learned? I think we actually are looking at a more stable 24 as, as, we, see, as we start the year right now. Um, as, as Victor and Serena have said, there's not much reason to, to, to support the idea that China's going to import a lot more of crude or a lot more of products, or is there much uh, idea that they're actually going to export a lot more products because you know, the, the margins are starting to come off, so there's not, it's not as profitable to export into Asia. That said, uh, refining is one sector that Beijing can manipulate pretty quickly if it chooses to boost economic growth. It's easy to say to the refiners, process more. It's a quick economic win. Um, that sort of thing can, can happen. So a, a lot, I, th I think of what we're actually seeing is almost a kind of policy-driven market at the moment. Um, and within that... You know, China could import a little bit more, it might not. The thing that you also got to remember is that last year they were still importing and stockpiling. Um, the calculations that I do show that they're roughly around 670,000 barrels a day in the first 11 months went into stockpiles. The bulk of that in the first half when they were importing more, and then they stopped uh, stockpiling in the second half. So you've still got quite a lot of uh, oil flowing into inventories, either commercial or strategic, in China. And there's always a big question mark as to whether that continues or not. Again, 
I tend to think that's price dependent. If the price is right, the Chinese will buy. If the price is too high, they won't. So in some ways, OPEC plus controls its own future um, as far as Chinese demand goes. The Chinese have shown that they're actually very good at responding to market situations. Uh, unlike the Americans who talk about inventories and announce sales and things like that, the Chinese don't. They just get on with it. But you then see over time, either imports rise as the price, you know, with the time lag, um, you know, it's price movements or they fall. It's 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 quite it's it's quite a good correlation that uh, Chinese imports have with with changes in price once you factor in the lag it takes of two months for you know from when a cargo is arranged to when it's delivered. So on that basis, um, yeah, it's it's going to be very price dependent. If we have a view that the oil price is going to be largely stable, then I expect Chinese imports will be largely stable too. Okay, thanks, Clyde. Serena, just on the on that uh, topic of uh, competition for OPEC into China, um, again, talking about Russian crude, uh, uh, U.S. exports competing now, and I think uh, exceeding, uh, uh, not exceeding, but that sort of gap between U.S. and OPEC exports is getting narrower, isn't it? U.S. has been catching up, OPEC exports have been dropping. Is that a concern for OPEC Plus, market share-wise? Is that going to be more of a concern this year, we've seen them act a lot last year on their cuts, cutting quotas, losing market share, a lot of conversations to be had within OPEC Plus this year on quotas. Are we going to see that as a real concern this year? Last year, it was brushed off as not a concern. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a really good question. Well, um, I would say that OPEC's in, uh, crude imports and market share in China has remained relatively stable despite you know, the changes in prices. And one of the reasons is because Saudi Arabia especially has long-term contracts with a couple of Chinese refiners out there. So that actually guarantees you know, at least some uh, contract volumes that are supplied to China every single month. But let's not also forget that the Middle East OPEC uh, medium sour crude has always been you know, the typical crude slates into the Chinese refiners that are most familiar with. And then they start topping up the crude with spot cargoes from US, from West Africa, whenever the opportunity arises, especially for the state-run refiners. So from that perspective, I don't think that OPEC needs to be too worried about losing too much of a market share. But also, we've already seen how Saudi Aramco is pretty much very flexible in adjusting their OSPs just to maintain their market share. Now, talking about Russia, and some of the sanction barriers in Iran, from Iran as well as Venezuela, those will be the favorite crude slates for the teapot refiners. And I think that the three producers out there have their own competition among themselves because at the end of the day, um, for, for several of them, China remains, uh, if not the only um, kind of market for them uh, to place their crude. So they want to make sure that as much as the domestic refining margins for a lot of the teapot refiners have started to become very challenging, they want to make sure that they still maintain a certain amount of market share. And therefore, there would be potentially some uh, price competition among these uh, suppliers. Okay, thanks. I mean, Victor, on that front, just on the Russian crude, we've seen the discounts on Russian crude last year uh, drop, meaning it got less competitive. Um, uh, any, any, I mean, on Serena's point there on, on the teapots, taking more of those kind of sanctioned barrels, would you agree with that? Uh, and what is China's outlook to, to, to Russian crude versus OPEC? Uh, I mean, Russian crude, obviously sanctioned uh, crude. And how is that going to impact its thinking? Well, so long as the discount against other grades maintain, remain, well, say, 
for the moment, independents still prefer a lot of cargoes from Russia and some other sanctioned barriers too. So, but over the past few months, the discounts have kind of weakened. And so demand from independents kind of job, but it's still the major grade for independence feedstock. And this will probably continue to be true in the coming months too, unless prices change very dramatically. Or unless some other sanction cargoes are no longer available. And this will force independence to consume more other feedstock. Okay, Clyde, I mean, just looking beyond China to its neighbors, India, uh, economy is still doing pretty well there, other Asian consumers. Um, I mean, in terms of how that might impact demand for OPEC plus oil, um, can OPEC plus rely on others uh, to make up for any shortfall that may come? Uh, they, may, they may come from China this year. Is that a realistic expectation or, you know, are all, you know, is it really depending on China to ride to its rescue that its policy and its actions uh, work this year? Oh, I think India was actually the kind of surprise package of 2023. Um, imports rose quite strongly. Um, yes, they took a lot of Russian barrels that couldn't really go anywhere else, um, ones that used to be sold into Europe. So, you know, the Indian refiners were very quick to adapt to that trade. And, and you know, um, I expect that will continue. Those Russian barrels have limited places they can go and the Indian refiners will take them, even if the discount narrows and narrows. It will still have to be sold with some form of discount, otherwise they won't take them. Um, so, yes, uh, I think India helps the plus part of the OPEC grouping. Whether it helps the OPEC booking group itself is, 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 is a little less clear. Um, India prefers to buy crudes from the Middle East, given the much shorter sea journeys. But if you actually look at what they've been importing, they're quite happy to buy from the US, from West Africa, whoever is actually prepared to sell them crude at a reasonable price. So I think what you're actually seeing is you know, with uh, the Saudi OSP being cut for February cargoes, and that will be replicated through most of the Mideast trades, uh, you're, you're seeing an, an attempt by them to, to remain fairly competitive. Um, and I think the Saudis are, are certainly putting the message out there that we will, you know, produce up to our OPEC quotas, uh, and we will be able to sell that and we want to sell that. And, you know, we're a nice, reliable, safe, secure supplier. So, um, that's kind of how how they operate. So uh, yes, uh, but is is the demand growth outside of China going to be so strong in the rest of Asia? I don't I don't think so. I think there's still uh, question marks over the strength of the economies in the developed parts of of Asia: South Korea, Japan, Taiwan, Australia, um, and you know the rest of the, the the developing parts. You know, in Southeast Asia and South Asia, uh, probably will you know, be okay, but not great. So it doesn't really look like a, a standout year for demand growth. Okay. And I mean, just on that point of the US being a competing crude, obviously a longer distance to go to China than OPEC, a lot of mostly OPEC crude. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that's going to be a concern for OPEC, uh, OPEC plus this year in terms of comp competition? Yes, Saudi Aramco can drop its OSPs to, to retain that market share. Do you think it'll do that, whatever it takes to retain the market share now as we go forward? 
Well, I think it's quite, quite clear that Aramco, as opposed to the Saudi Energy Ministry, that Aramco wants to sell as much oil as it possibly can uh, within the policy restraints imposed on it by the, the Energy Ministry. So I think they will do what they can to make sure that they can do that and that the, the OSPs will have to uh, be at a level that makes it competitive. Right now, if you sort of look at the February pricing structure, uh, a premium, an OSP of $1.50 on Arab Light over Oman, Dubai, makes it roughly about $8 more expensive than WTI. Um, I know that's a different crude grade, uh, but, um, you know, or different characteristics, but it does mean that, you know, there's even once you add in the extra shipping costs of a couple of uh, dollars a barrel, it still means that U.S. oil is considerably cheaper um, than, you know, the Middle East competitors. So, yes, I think there's probably still work for them to do. I mean, as we know, the Saudis have got very, they sell their oil under contracts and and that's their sort of thing. And they are seen as a reliable supplier. But if you're looking at any extra demand and, you know, where, where are people going to look for that? And quite frankly, if you look throughout Asia, your two major buyers, India and China, they'll look for the cheapest oil and they'll buy the cheapest oil on whoever is selling it. That's how they operate. So um, if you're looking to sell more, you're going to have to be cheap. And that's kind of the lesson. OK, so so we'll see where prices go for that. Victor, let's talk a little bit again about the Chinese economy. I want to get your um, point of view on, on sort of, you know, the stimulus measures that, that the, the government took last year. A lot of people said too little, too late throughout 2023 um, in terms of boosting uh, economic activity, consumer confidence, consumer expenditure. Are consumers in China at the start of 2024 feeling a bit more confident to dip into their purse, whether it's to get back into the property market, whether it's to go out there uh, and spend on, on the high street, if you like? Where is that confidence now? A year into China trying to bring that confidence back. Well, yes, when we are talking about the stimulus package, it's not as strong as in the past few years, say in 2028 or some other years when the country is facing such challenges. And this, this is because, well, over the past three years, local governments were financially strained too. And the government, the central government is trying to push for industrial upgrade. So it's not going to bail out all the industries, all the enterprises that are struggling. If the companies, the industry, it's not competitive enough for future development. So it's not conducive to the country's industry upgrade. It will not release such stimulus to get them to development further. So this is kind of good opportunity for the government to push for upgrade too. So for now, the consumer confidence has not changed much yet, but it's kind of improving slowly. And say for now, let's talk about say for the travel rush around the Spring Festival and the CAAC, which is the Civil Administration of Aviation, Civil Aviation Administration, and forecast that about 80 million trips by air will be made around this 40-day uh, spring festival travel rush, which will set a new high 
and it would be up about 44.9% from last year and 9.8% from uh, 2019 before the pandemic. So people's travel is already back to normal mm. and it's already kind of peaking. So it's, this is uh, the confidence travel. I mean, the another boost, the boost is mainly from travel. One of the boost is mainly from travel. So it's still kind of recovering. Slowly. Yeah. yeah, but that is certainly a consumer area. I'll go to Serena with that because I want to talk to you a bit about sort of the differentiation between different products and where we see those going at 24 in terms of margins and, and demand for those. There's our uh, survey question, which is the question of the panel, can OPEC plus rely on Chinese oil demand to save the day in 2024? Yes or no? Uh, we'll have a look at those um, results in a couple of minutes. Serena, on that point of, sort of jet fuel, I suppose, demand, which... Victor is referring to travel, and perhaps that brings in other stimulus to the economy. But do you see, I mean, having sort of reviewed the patterns of, of different product behavior, let's say in 2023, uh, oil refined products, um, what's the outlook, if, uh, if you like, in, in, in 2024? Do you see uh, what typical behaviors of products in the different quarters seasonally, or, or, or are you getting other indicators? Yeah, so let's start off with jet, right? I completely agree with Victor that domestic demand will see a boost, especially around the spring period. But what's also worth noting is that when we look at international demand, they uh, jet fuel demand, sorry, they have not recovered as high as pre-pandemic levels. So this year, there's definitely room and some uh, form of optimism for international jet travels to air travels to actually recover. Um, from a diesel demand perspective, we all see potentially some of the construction, the industries, the manufacturing sector struggling a little bit. But what's comforting to know is that the Chinese government is closely monitoring some of these metrics and has been pretty generous, I would say, in dishing out stimulus, for example, reducing the minimum down payment for purchasing of new homes, handing out loans as well as injecting low-cost funds into policy-driven banks. I think all this is a kind of safeguard by the Chinese government to actually prop up uh, the, the, the industry to help you know, support the diesel demand. And finally, when we go towards the gasoline demand, I, think, I would think that gasoline demand would probably remain relatively flat short of the seasonal changes uh, in, in terms of the uh, across the various quarters of this year. Well, one of the key metrics to really watch out for is the penetration of the electric vehicles um, that is expected to rise. And at the same time, from a consumer uh, perspective, in terms of passenger travel, that potentially would remain relatively flat. So if I can wrap up all, all throughout the transportation fuel sector, I think demand will still remain uh, relatively healthy. There is definitely downside risk, but the government could potentially bring some silver line. Uh, to, the, to the Chinese demand. Okay, thanks. Yeah, Clyde, I want to just I wanted to mention EVs because we saw a headline a couple of weeks ago that Baidu, of course, the electrical vehicle maker in China, has taken over Tesla in terms of volume of production. And of course, we have seen a huge uh, impetus, of course, into EVs and, and investment uh, in China into that as well as other efficiencies. Is that going to really is that impacting you know fundamental crude oil demand? yet or is it just that we've seen this and we're going to see that hit when you know when we see those more typical sort of peak demand forecasts hit in a few years time or are you seeing that on the ground do you think that's coming into chinese thinking 
Well, I think China's the sort of the giant canary in the coal mine for the EV world because I mean they're doing something at scale that the rest of the world's just not even not even remotely close to. Uh, you are seeing dramatic increases in EV penetration. They are still selling quite a large number of ICE cars still, uh, but that mix is changing. And if you actually look at it, the Chinese are, are so far ahead of the rest of the world's car manufacturers when it comes to producing uh, reasonable quality, good electric vehicles at a, at, a, at a good price. So, you know, I expect that trend is, is certainly going to continue. The Chinese have made it clear that they'd rather build out electrification, even if some of that is powered by coal, but then import oil. So if you actually look at their long-term trend, they want to import less oil and use more of their domestic energy resources, be that renewable, nuclear, or in, indeed still coal. So once those trends start, they become very hard to stop. Is 2024 the year that they reach peak oil imports and peak gasoline demand? Uh, possibly not, but I would say it would probably be within the next couple of years as more and more of their fleet transitions to electric vehicles. Okay, well, Clyde Russell, Victor Yang and Serena Huang, I'm afraid that brings us to the end of our session here. Uh, can OPEC Plus rely on Chinese oil demand to save the day in 2024? No, says our uh, viewer uh, sort of panel, if you like, 67% uh, no. So that's Perhaps a realistic answer, but we will we will see. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, the most the majority of so the drop in demand forecast at the end of the year was was really not due to Chinese demand dropping, but other regions like Europe, etc. So we'll see uh, how that also eats into uh, any OPEC plus uh, oil concerns. But thank you so much for joining us uh, today for this uh, session uh, in the Asia Pacific. Uh, and thank you to our viewers for joining uh, and all the best.